thanks for signing up for the Public Beta Podcast. It is, once again, Friday, April 9th, 2021. Our last episode of Public Beta Podcast was also on a Friday. Uh, so we're making a habit of that for a show that's supposed to be out on Thursday. And, of course, uh, last week's episode was preempted by uh, talk on the movie Venom. Your host this week, myself, Lee and Reed. Reed, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm good. <laughs> You're in that, uh, you, you lost your Venom momentum, you're in that post-Venom <laughs> depression, uh, that it's gonna be, it's gonna be until Venom 2 comes out that we really have a reason to talk about that movie. And then, Lee, there's gonna be carnage. Oh, there will be carnage. Uh, so thank you all for, uh, sticking with us. Of course, you can find the follow-up conclusion of that Venom, uh, discussion from last week on, uh, the new Tiss the Iceberg podcast, which is out on Tuesdays, but we're back to regular scheduled programming. It's time to talk about video games. Video games. Wait, the Venom... Yeah, those things you haven't been playing for two weeks. <laughs> no, I have been playing video games. How dare you? Um, You've been watching anime. No, I have been don't, playing video games and me. watching anime. <laughs> but the Venom compilation episode is also coming out. Yes, we're making a complete episode for it, of course. You have to. Yeah. But yeah, I um, have been playing video yeah. games. How dare you? Okay, well, let's talk about them. Okay. You go first. Uh, well, of course, I, I've gotten, like, surprisingly, like, way back into Warzone. Uh... Don't know what it is. Why, su- why surprisingly? I don't know, like, because I was definitely out of it for a while. Um, I have been playing a little bit of Outriders, but the game has not been keeping my attention. I'll, uh, I'll launch into Outriders when it's my turn, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, from what it is, it's a very competent looter shooter akin to Borderlands. I enjoy Borderlands more for the character building. I think it's a lot more robust and interesting. I don't think Oh, you perks... want to talk about Outlanders, Outriders right fucking now. What? Let's talk about Outriders fucking now, then. Let's do it. Sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah like, I, like I was saying, I, I don't think the character building is there for Outriders to make the perks interesting enough for me to justify playing this game over something like Borderlands. Um, I do think... I like, the actual, that, but I'll let you finish. <laughs> yeah, the actual <laughs> abilities and everything within the game are like really fun and flashy and unique, especially when you're playing with multiple people. It really does give a semblance of like this chaos you're creating. Uh, it's a bit not as optimized as i'd like it to be for pc there's definitely some jank and some frame skipping when you're using certain abilities uh the game performs better when you're aiming down sights as opposed to when you're not it's pretty strange um because it's blurring out the uh it's giving you the tunnel vision so it can blur out the rest of the assets right i guess so um but like i have like an optimized pc for like 2021 and this game should be running no problem i can run like I can run Cyberpunk on ultra settings and still get it at Already obsolete. Frames. You need a new PC to <laughs> yeah. run Outriders. Um, <laughs> I, no, it's actually the optimization because within like the first few days of Outriders being out, they had to release a PC patch uh, to allow people to play it off of direct, uh, direct 11X instead of 12. And then people had to manually add an exception to it to, the far, to their firewall list so the game could that's actually what? perform. Yeah, like it's this really big thing that's like, fuck, like that's pretty messy. Along with the fact that the servers have gone down on the oh, weekend, yeah. on the weekend that I had it, it really soured me on the game. Um, and then uh, a big complaint I have with this game is the unscaled difficulty you, that you get when you join with friends. So I have a buddy at work who is a few levels above me, and him and he plays with his brother who's also the same level as him. 
whenever I join them, all the enemies are a few levels above them even, so there's a bigger discrepancy between their enemies and me. I can't fucking right. do anything, so it discourages us from playing with one another. As opposed what if to they play, if have they ever joined your world? Would you yeah. then find that because the enemy level is determined by the host player's world tier? Yeah, uh, I the, he has joined me once. I don't remember asking him if the if my enemies were scaled down to his level or not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but even something like Borderlands uh, fixes this. Like they have like. In a game like Borderlands or Destiny or any other looter shooter, essentially, when you hop into a buddy's game, the enemies are scaled to your level for you and scaled to their level for them. So you guys can have a cooperative, fun experience. It's not fun joining my buddy and his brother and hiding behind cover for 90% of the time because I can't do anything and I can't get off any damage. Uh, Likewise... And and I don't want and I don't like the argument of well like oh well you know you like once you guys are the same level you can play together and I'm that's not why I'm playing Outriders if I wanted to play a solo looter shooter I fucking wouldn't because I hate solo looter shooters I want to play with friends um, and I don't want to have to go off on my own and dedicate four hours just to catch up to my buddies by myself it'd be much better if I could just play with them when I want to that's my rant on Outriders <laughs> fair. Yeah, I think I think there's some messy stuff with the matchmaking. Uh, it has crossplay, uh, which we haven't. I haven't tried with. It doesn't yet, work from what I heard. I, I hear they had to disable it. So I have. I didn't run into any server issues because I play video games at odd times of the day, not the the usual peak hours. Uh, but I'm gonna take the conversation all the way back. I've played Outriders only alone, uh, so <laughs> I have a very different kind of approach to it and the the leveling thing and stuff like that. So I'm just gonna go off on this game. We'll talk about the story a bit too, uh, because honestly. It, it seems like, like, I've played a lot of video games in my day, Reed, and uh, Outriders is certainly one of them. Oh, and, it's, uh, I think, as yeah, soon, it's, as soon as you, uh, they got to the resistance group, I'm like, oh, fuck this yeah, game. Yeah, here we go. Like, uh, but, we, so, what does it do differently? Like, I, I give this game a pass on almost everything, and then even a good or great in some areas, and we'll talk quickly about the story. Uh, basically, Earth is bad. We need to leave Earth. Tectonic activity. The thing is ripping itself apart. So they send out a bunch of colony ships. Not unlike Fantasy Star Online. And uh, we found uh, planet Enoch. It's like a little Earth. It's perfect. It's going to take us like 87 years or some shit to get there. Uh, let's go. Uh, the people aboard the colony ship are, are cryo-frozen. And uh, the first the first batch are unfrozen as they arrive at planet Enoch. And they realize they've lost contact with Earth uh, only like a decade or more. Uh, into their trip. So Earth has not communicated back with this sh- a colony ship in, in decades now. So we have to assume, assume uh, that the worst has happened. Uh, they arrive on this planet. Everything seems hunky-dory. You are an outrider, which as far as I can tell is a like a merc, a sword for hire. Uh, the best outriders got chosen to go on these colony ships because they will be needed to forge a path into the new world. And of course, they don't know what they're going to encounter. So they needed some people with combat expertise. You land on this planet. You're part of the uh, the first party of scientists and people to go out unfortunately reed uh you're also sent down to the planet with an anime villain who uh wears his coat on his shoulders and uh you can tell this guy's bad news from fucking go well he's just and like he's like it's like i am evil intelligent man how dare you do <laughs> like <laughs> this guy this guy has the weight of like hey the earth might be exploded and we might be the last of humankind currently existing in all uh of the universe and he, he approaches this like a Lex Luthor, like, we need to get people on the ground here, yeah, we need to start it, making money. 
Yeah, uh, Lex Luthor is a so, great way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, so you and uh, a cowboy and some other characters, and there's some flavor dialogue, and we'll talk right now about the performances and the characters. I don't know how many side events you've done, Reed, uh, but I did one just yesterday where, uh, sure enough, people are going crazy, and some guy has started a cult in the mountains, and he's got like a bunch of guys wearing skeletons on their heads, and uh, they're all praising the, st- the storms, and we'll get to the storms in a second. Uh, and the dialogue and the the characterization of the protagonist. I'm playing with a as a female character, so I have the female voice. Uh, yeah, me too. The the cocky performance of the main character. What a shithead they are is in keeping with other people can fly video games, namely Bulletstorm, uh, where the main character is just such a cocksure, like goddamn, uh, like everything's a waste of time to them, etc. And it's funny because you're going between establishing uh, this new planet and then doing these little missions, side missions, where it's just like, oh, uh, can you clear a path of monsters so I can go see my house again? It's like, what? Anyway, so they're exploring this planet and they find that there's wildlife, there's monsters. Okay, cool. I like shooting monsters. That's that's excellent. Uh, game, pretty basic at this point. Uh, two weapons and a sidearm. Uh, cover base shooter, you can fire from cover, etc., etc. But what happens eventually is they find this anomalous storm uh, that is like striking people with electricity. Some people are being turned inside out. Some people are being turned into Doctor Manhattan's uh, dick and all. Some people are disappearing. <laughs> they're they're fine. They're uh, it's 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 bad. It's really bad. Uh, it's time to escape, and uh, they start to to retreat back to the landing zone. And they learn that it's too late. Someone already pushed the big red button. All of these colony. Uh, people are being unfrozen and being sent down to the planet as we speak. Fuck. We fucked up. We fucked up. Uh, your character gets uh, a, t- a hit in the storm and seemingly seems to absorb the powers. So I guess that would put you in the Dr. Manhattan column. Uh, the the lead scientist or whoever she is at the time has no better solution than to just refreeze your ass. And uh, you, you black out. 31 years later... You wake up on planet Enoch and things have gone to shit. Mankind is confined to this valley as these anomalous storms, as well as giants, literal giants, like giant monsters. I don't know if you've encountered these yet, Reed. Some um, of them. They're the guys with like the big whale destroyer yeah, yeah, looking yeah. heads. Yeah. Uh, and they can apparently they can uh, apparently have something to do with the storms. I haven't looked in, into the... I haven't actually had that revealed to me yet. Uh, but humankind can't leave this place. They were facing... Uh, basically letting a bunch of people die as these anomalous storms also worked as an EMP and knocked out all of their electronics. Somehow the people floating in cryo were still fine or whatever. (laughs) Uh, But they had to make a choice. They didn't have farming set up. They didn't have food set up. And all of their supplies are stuck in the colony ship because without electronics, they obviously can no longer communicate with the ship or bring that stuff back down. In 31 years, they haven't figured this shit out. So eventually they were forced to just unfreeze a bunch of people and leave them in these badlands to die. Like, it was like, fend for yourself. We don't have food to support you. So it created this uh, class division of basically people who were like, yeah, sorry, uh, you were frozen for so many years. We've landed on this planet. It's a shit show. Everything's out to kill you. And we have no food and we can't support you. So good luck out there. Well, these people ended up thriving and creating resistance. Uh, and they are called the Insurgents. And uh, there's also, of course, the militarized Outriders, most of which died in the landing. And then there's, of course, the the actual proper colony ship authority, as you were. So you have your... Man. 
Uh, so at the end of the day, we end up with a Mad Max planet. Things have gone to shit. I liked the time jump. I like the narrative way that this game gets going. I don't know about you. I no, like the little um, twist in the story. I was about to say, like, I fucking hate the characters and the writing. And yes. for the most part, I think <laughs> it's all generic fucking Mass Effect bullshit that I don't care about. However, um, I like I would have hated it more had it been like the Andromeda Anthem, like navigate this planet and there's like some bad guys that are kind of bad i was pleasantly surprised when you woke up and they're fucking executing people and like they're hanging people and you're like this is insane and the guy in the back of the truck just goes hell yeah it is (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay that's that's the only good part of the story so far i've encountered but like as soon as you get to like the resistance camp i'm like okay like every cliche you could fucking shanty town yeah. Every cliche you could fucking think of is going to happen here. You're going to have the strong female resistance leader in a tank top. Bingo. You're going to have your old fucking comrade who's a bitter drunk now. Bingo. You're going to have a bunch of shitty old poor people arguing over food. Bingo. And it's like I, <laughs> I've played a million of these fucking games since yes. Last of Us came out. And I don't need any more resistance stories. I'm fucking sick of it. Yeah, you know I'm I'm over it. The thing that's pushing it forward is not the human plight, but in fact, uh, I like the idea. I always like the idea of like this is the last stand of mankind, and what do we do? We find a new planet where we barely have any room to move around, and we're fighting over it. Um, so you, as an outrider, uh, and now a altered, as you were called, uh, you you got mad. You got magic. Reed, you got magic. The planet gave you magic. The the anomaly has given you magic. Yeah, it has given a few other people magic. And uh, you get to choose what kind of magic you got. So you got, like, Trickster, Pyromancer, Devastator, which we both chose because we're fucking alpha as, as fuck. Yeah, uh, and then uh, there's, there's one more that I'm not remembering. <laughs> uh, what, is the, what is the fourth class? Uh, 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 technician. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so in case of Devastator uh, and the case of any of the classes, you restore your health primarily uh, by killing. Uh, especially with the Devastator, it's up-close killing, and you can get perks to extend what up-close means. And then you kind of have your huge skill tree. Uh, There are perks along the way that affect your gameplay, but otherwise you are basically raising your stats. I went with the magic uh, route. And here's the thing uh, that you may not have quite gotten to yet in the the game. When you start to get blues and purples for armor and weapons, uh, they have perks, they have basically mods attached, and when you dismantle these, uh, you earn that perk forever. You can't have the same perk attached twice to your gear. It won't stack. Uh, So it actually warns you in-game that, hey, you already have this equipped on your helmet. Don't put it on your gloves as well. And these are what make the game awesome. Uh, This is what actually kept me playing. I I broke through to the other side. uh, Because these augment your skills in ways that make you feel like a fucking badass. Uh, So you get this impale skill with the Devastator, which basically, on a weaker enemy, just kills them instantly. And then I started getting mods where it's like, well, now you can do two enemies at a time. Well, now you can cast it twice before it has to cool down, uh, etc. Now it does more damage and hits two people, and you can do it twice. So now enemies are coming at me, and if they're in a group of four, I can kill them instantly. And uh, weapons get mods as well. Of course, you can inflict elemental statuses. But it becomes very apparent very quickly that the cover is not for you. The cover is for your enemies, as every skill in the game basically makes you dance around the battlefield and destroy them, (laughs) uh, either from behind or coming right at them. 
And uh, the difficulty is interesting. It uses a world tier system, which is not unlike what Diablo and, let's say, Minecraft Dungeons has done, uh, where you unlock these world tiers that increase enemy level, but also allow you to wear gear that is above your level, and hopefully give you an even playing uh, field. There was a couple times where I, I ran into an encounter where I needed to try it a couple times, but by God, if I didn't say, okay, last try, and then immediately beat it, and then get a bunch of good gear and immediately be stronger than enemies four times my my level. And I've only played this solo. I have not played this in a group whatsoever. Um, Outriders. What can I say? It's I'm playing on Game Pass. I paid zero dollars for this game, Reed. So my approach uh, to, to something that has just been given... This is a perfect Game Pass game. Unfortunately, because it is a perfect Game Pass game, they had a lot more players day one and during the weekend than they expected. And the servers were, were completely... Uh, ripped to shreds and it's a game that you need to be connected to the internet to even if you're playing solo even though it is not a service game which is a bit of a bummer so people were harassing the fuck out of the developers uh, of this game telling them that their game is shit and to make it work and I gotta say having played eight let's say uninterrupted hours of this game you could do worse than Outriders would I pay $80 for this game? no <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm at the point where, like, I just haven't put enough time into this, and I haven't played it in a few days. I've been playing Pokemon yeah. again. Uh, so, oh, fuck! The, the, server, the server issues are enough, um, along with just a jittery gameplay, that I might just get refunded by Steam and move on with my life. Yeah, uh, like, completely understandable, and this is, this is another one of these... Uh, I'm enjoying this game more than Avengers and Anthem from a right. uh, fun point of view. Uh, like, aside from the flying in Anthem, which will always be thrown back in my fucking face. <laughs> uh, yeah, this doesn't have flying, sorry, but it does have fucking sweet-ass, like, mutant superpowers, so yeah. fucking deal with it. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think there's a good game in between that Anthem and that uh, Outriders point, but I, do, I don't see you, I don't see Roderick, I don't see me playing this game a month later. No, if, if Anthem had the loot system of Outriders with the mods and everything uh, to go with it, then Anthem is the better game. But as a loot shooter, Outriders is one of the... Let's give, give them credit where credit is due. Anthem is a game where a team was making a game like this for the first time. This is also a game where someone is making a game like this for the first time. And I think People Can Fly Outriders is a better complete package than Anthem. Of course, I haven't beaten it yet, but even in the time I've spent with it currently, uh, I just fought it uh, in a volcano, fought like the first boss, and like fought it on my first try, got these sweet dual pistols where I was just like dumping mags on this thing, and I'm having a good time. I'm having a fucking good time with Outriders, but uh, consider it was at no additional cost to me. Uh, so, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I do have two other games to talk about. I'm just going to throw it back to you real quick. Did you have anything else you played in this last week, Reed? Other than getting back into the Pokemon uh, just Just been playing lots of Pokemon again. I've uh, been playing fucking competitive. They still have a lot of the bullshit Pokemon I don't like within the ranked uh, tiers and everything. So they're not quite banned yet. So I've been playing mostly just regular linked battles. Um, but, you know, just building lots of random Pokemon, having fun with that shit. Swept some dude with my badass Scolipede Focus Sash speed boost combo. Uh, get a free turn basically to get off Swords Dance. The speed boost will come off after the turn, so you're going off your first turn with a plus two attack, plus one speed. And in most cases, that's enough to sweep uh, at least a good half of their team, if not more, before they get a priority move off or something. Um, so whenever I go into rank 3v3s, I always leave with Skullpeed because no one expects it anyway, and I absolutely been fucking sweeping with that shit. So 
Are you saying that you're packing six Pokemon that are able to do uh, accomplish such feats? Or are you only really able to set up once and then it's just like toss out, just overpower them for the rest of the battle? What do you mean? So like if, if your Scolipede, uh, if he puts something out with a quick claw or something gets in, uh, uh, somehow managed to down your, your setup after he, you've taken it, let's say, three of his Pokemon. Sure. Do you have a backup plan? Oh, yeah, yes. Like, yeah. Lee, I, all of the Pokemon... <laughs> all I ever hear from you is just like, one Pokemon's all I need, bitch. No, Fucking swept the whole gun. That's more of a case of, like, yeah. like that's just how good I've prepared that particular Pokemon. No, every Pokemon yeah. I've bred competitively in this game has max EVs, IVs, my preferred nature... Uh, competitive move pool and a preferred item that is competitive quick claw no one uses by the way um uh so yeah yeah if scolipede falls i have fucking 48 other pokemon i've bred to battle ready status man it's almost there in 100 now actually if you include all the ubers and stuff and legendaries that i've maxed out and everything it's it's really getting up there but i think that's more of a testament to i really like like, the breeding, like, I know that you even love it, and you don't even battle after, but the breeding process of Pokemon is very fun. Um, putting in that work and, like, doing math and stuff like that just to get your preferred stats, I don't know, it's, it's <laughs> like, that's the kind of dumb RPG shit I enjoy, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I get it. I just hope, I just wish there was a better Pokemon game for you to play. I hope that Diamond and Pearl remake is... Uh, uh, well, honestly, go to PokemonShowdown.com. It has every Pokemon. They don't do Dynamax. You can have every, like, all the move pools are there, all the items are there, and it's... Yeah, uh, that's not, that's not official. Yeah, I know. That doesn't count. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to that, <laughs> to that uh, Arceus game. That looks pretty fucking neat. Yeah, man. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, like, looking forward to them trying something new. Obviously, Breath of the Wild was is going to be a big yeah, influence it, on a lot of series. But if, if it's kind of like an open-world Pokemon XD or Coliseum, I think that'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it very much so. I have two games really quickly to talk about before we hit some news and then get back to Metal Gear. I started Yakuza 3. I'm playing the remastered version on PlayStation 4, so it's up It's running real nice. And uh, I've said in previous weeks that I, I regret never playing these Yakuza games earlier, but I realize in playing Yakuza 3, which is the first game, I've played Zero and then Kwame 1 and 2, so this is the oldest feeling Yakuza game I've played, and it coincidentally was the only Yakuza game I had played prior to starting Zero and fell off of it, and I'm remembering why. Uh, this game has a very slow opening if you aren't already familiar with the story of Yakuza so far, which of course at the time I was not, and... Uh, it introduces you to this battle system by giving you boss fights off the bat, which is the weakest point of the Yakuza fighting system prior to them making all the changes in Kiwami, where you're just like a fucking ultimate badass. Uh, so it's very stilted, it's very clumsy uh, to start, and, and is just like, it feels old, it feels its age. And I realized that when these games were coming out, I don't know that I could have I, I could have actually played them at the time. Now I will... Not say struggle through, but I will go through these games with the uh, with that introspection. I think uh, and just ch chip away at them a little by little. I don't know if I'll play them as complete as I did the Kiwami games, just based on the main gameplay being the beat 'em up being so much worse in this game. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. In this one, uh, Kiryu, he's uh, he's he's left his Yakuza ways behind him. He's in, uh, in, installed a couple figureheads into the Tojo clan, and he's moved out west to Okinawa, and he is uh, he's running an orphanage. He's got a bunch of kids. He's collected some children, 
and he's uh, teaching them to be stoic and uh, good people. <laughs> uh, you know, there's th- there's some good stuff there, and he's he's raising these kids in this orphanage. But turns out, Reed, turns out uh, some people are trying to muscle in on his territory. Some local gangsters are trying to buy up that land, and the reason they're trying to get it is because either a world class resort will be moving in, or an American military base will be moving in. So there's like a political intrigue in this game. <laughs> on top of Kiryu, of course, uh, saying he will not sell his land. And <laughs> that's <laughs> so two very different the buildings conflict. they want to make. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that is that is the yes. So people are like, well, we we already have so much such an American military presence here uh, that that we don't want that. Uh, you know, a tourist spot could bring in more people. But from Kiryu's point of view, he wants to keep that land for him and his like ten children he's raising. So, for the kids, well, for the kids, Kiryu for the kids. Uh, he gets to wear like a tropical shirt, of course, because Okinawa's like more uh, beach. More, more Hawaii-esque uh, kind of beachside towns and stuff like that. So I have never been. I've never been that far west in Japan in my travels. All right. Loop Hero is a game that's on Steam. I'm sure it's other places as well. People have called this an idle game. It is not that. Reed, are you familiar with clickers and idle games? I said it before this podcast. I hate phone games. I hate games like that. I have no interest in <laughs> Well, then you'll like Loop Hero because it's not one of <laughs> So Loop Hero... Uh, you are a character with amnesia. Uh, there is a, a great evil in the land, etc., etc. You have a hub world where you build out this village that gives you different perks. Uh, your character will go on this randomly generated loop and just start walking in circles and fight enemies. You get cards that are tiles that build up the world. You're building the world every time you do a loop or a, uh, a run, as it were. A run-based game, Reed. You won't believe it. Uh, your character can experience, uh, switch to different classes that you will unlock after adding things to your village. For example, adding a cemetery uh, gives you like necromancer or something like that, something along those lines. Uh, and these different character classes fight differently, can equip different items. As you fight enemies, you are given cards or items that you can equip on your character. And of course, they have different statuses and buffs and stuff like that. Also, different tiles you place on the road will generate different enemies. And you're trying to find an equilibrium where you can continue to get stronger and stronger without completely overwhelming and killing your character because if you die your loop is over and you lose everything or you can decide at the beginning of any loop to just quit and go back to the village and take all your loot with you and uh, upgrade your village so it's one of those the game can play itself to a point uh, but you will be much more efficient if you're keeping track of what's happening you're actively placing tiles Uh, you learn a bunch of the tricks and how tiles work with one another and uh, equipping items so for example if your hero is getting too low on health well maybe it's time to swap in a shield or something that will give you like a leech life ability it's a really good game. It's very addicting. Uh, it's very casual. It's, it is, like I said, not quite an idle game, but it's definitely something you can uh, be playing in the background while watching something like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, for example. Just, just to throw <laughs> it out there. Uh, the art style of the game is really, really cool. It evokes kind of like an old retro style with CRT lines and everything. The music's really fucking good. The sound effects are on point. Loop Hero... Uh, is it was kind of like the the game of the the week two weeks ago, and I'm here to say uh, that it's all it's cracked up to be, and it's not very expensive. I think it's like 16 bucks Canadian on Steam. So if you're looking for something a little more casual that still has uh, that all that RPG flair and numbers getting bigger, Loop Hero might be for you. We're gonna blitz through some news here, Reed. All right, Deathloop. Are you familiar with Deathloop? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, Arcane, uh, which are the guys who do Dishonored, uh, that are owned by Bethesda who is now owned by Microsoft, are putting out an exclusive PS5 game in Deathloop, which was supposed to be out in May. It has been delayed to September. This is the second major delay for this game, and probably not the last we'll see out of all games, as uh, we are now feeling the effects of COVID 
uh, on the game industry. Things that were limping to the finish line have come out now, and now we, we, we're going to enter the long dark of uh, games just being repeatedly delayed, unfortunately. Um, Pac-Man 99 which is like Tetris 99, uh, is now on the Nintendo Switch if you are an online subscriber. Of course, on March 31st, they killed Super Mario 35. Uh, so now you get Pac-Man instead. He's next. <laughs> uh, Build-A-Bear announces they're doing an Animal Crossing collection. They didn't reveal who would be uh, for sale. On the morning of the reveal, they revealed it was just Isabel and Tom Nook. Makes sense to you. Makes sense to me. That's, that's a good first two to try. People were pissed. Uh, that their favorite villagers were not represented. I don't know <laughs> what the expectation was that they would release 500 different SKUs at Build-A-Bear. Obviously, more can come down the line if these are good sellers, but uh, everybody needs to cool the fuck down. MLB The Show 21 will join Game Pass on day one. People were confused oh by this. As, oh my god. Uh, that is a PlayStation exclusive until this year. Apparently, MLB cut this deal behind Sony's back. Sony didn't have any say in this, and oh, uh, we'll see shit. what happens. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's so baseball. I bought a PS. Think of this: when you bought your PS5, not you, but someone out there, when they bought their PS5, they're like, "Yeah, man, MLB The Show 21, I'm ready." Now you've learned three weeks from launch that you're going to be paying eighty bucks for this thing like a fucking sucker, and people on the Xbox are going to be playing it for free. That uh, that stings. <laughs> Uh, that's something that Sony should have immediately countered with, and they haven't yet. So, sounds like there's bad blood <laughs> between Sony and MLB uh, based on that, but there's there's no substantiation of that yet. There's Castlevania. bad blood. Yeah. Uh, Castlevania had a, uh, a game that was due out on the Dreamcast that was cancelled, coincidentally called Castlevania Resurrection. Apparently, a copy of the Scrap 3D platform uh, has been... Uh, has been resurrected. Uh, stars Victor Belmont and is a- apparently playable and is for sale for twenty thousand dollars. I don't know if it is. I don't know if anybody's paid that yet. Uh, but that that is an unreleased Castlevania game. If it if it pleases you, if you want to really get into the big bucks, though, we're talking about Super Mario Brothers, the original cartridge sold for six hundred and sixty thousand dollars U.S. Which is the highest price ever paid for a video game. Just for a factory-sealed copy of the original Mario Brothers. Insane. Wild. Insanity. It's a 9.6 grade. I don't think there exists a 10 grade. I think once something has been like... It comes off the conveyor belt, it's like a 9.8 or something like that. So 9.6 is... Really good. Yeah. Congratulations, you spent over a half million dollars on Mario Brothers. This guy's good. That guy's going to feel dumb as hell if uh, time travel is invented. Because <laughs> chances are time travel will be cheaper than half a million dollars, right? I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> you just go back and pay pay fucking nothing for it. I don't know. Uh, report: The Last of Us remake will be coming to for PS Five remake. Uh, so they remade The Last of Us for PlayStation Four. Well, they remastered it. <laughs> so apparently, that version will be coming to the PS Five, or they're going to remake it. With the newer engine, this seems like a waste of time and money. Yeah, like, Last of Us Remastered is totally fine. Right. Like, <laughs> what are you going to improve upon Yeah, it? The story like, is the reason to play it, and that's all intact, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this kind of comes off the heels of them uh, shutting down the, the uh, Japan Sony Studios. Uh, of course, they're focusing now. They're all in on God of War 2, Ragnarok, and... Uh, 
Horizon, the big Western blockbusters, as it were. But we're going to call it there for news. I had one other topic to get to. Maybe we'll get to it next week. And uh, read. I'll, uh, I'll plant the seeds now. Uh, the topic was Twitch streamers, or otherwise, being told that they're playing the game wrong for deciding to play the game on lower difficulties. Oh, that's fucking stupid. Who gives a shit? Right. <laughs> that was going to be the conversation. We'll save that for, uh, for a, t- a conversation next week. And uh, we'll talk now about Metal Gear. Metal Gear. Oh, God. Uh, so, we talked about how dumb it was that the Patriots ended up being made up of the main characters from Snake Eater. Uh, we talked about Solid Snake versus Big Boss. We talked about Johnny Sasaki, the poop guy, the poop and how uh, he was given a full character arc in uh, Metal Gear Solid 4. Uh, we talked about while you love the character of Ocelot and you like the silly fan service uh, that are in this game, his motivations and uh, that kind of and zero and stuff like that being in the game, yeah, uh, kind of subtracts from the. Oh yeah, to boil it down yeah. into a sentence, I don't think uh, Metal Gear like. I don't think including Metal Gear Solid Three into the Metal Gear Solid Four mythos does anything for either game. No, it cheapens both of them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's kind of people's problem with Five that I don't have, is uh, like. You you cast you made the main character not Big Boss. No, that my problem with Metal Gear Solid Five is not the fact that uh, the main character is not technically Big Boss. I just think it's a totally unnecessary game. I think, I think for Metal Gear Solid a series as a whole, I think a lot of it would benefit from the motto of less is more. Um, I think the Patriots themselves would have benefited by just literally being a shadowy, faceless AI organization that is much scarier than a James Bond fan being the head of it. Um, right. So you're like, if you're not going to stick the, the landing 100%, then don't try. Yeah, <laughs> but even then, the Patriots would have been fine with just what they were in Metal Gear Solid 2, which was, we are the Illuminati, we're fucking AI, and we control everything. That's great. That's all they needed to be. Likewise... Right. It's the fallout thing. The, the president is a robot. Yeah. Likewise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And likewise, Metal Gear Solid 4 would have benefited at the same time by just being like, yeah, no, like... Metal Gear Solid 3 guys were not involved in here. Metal Gear Solid 3 and its cast would have maintained their integrity and how fun and joyful they were had they not been included with this. Like, if you want to include Zero and make him the head of it, sure, but there's no benefit for putting Signet and Paramedic as members of the Patriots. It's a bit ridiculous. Um, But I think today, Lee, we would benefit more from talking about some of the gameplay changes and a bunch of things that we actually do enjoy about the game, however few that may be for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's... uh, I mean, I can say what I remember of this game. Uh, I like the the camo system. I think that was neat. Right, yeah. I think we can get Uh, into that as we go along. But Metal Gear Solid 4 is a vastly different game in a lot of of, uh, respects, sorry, than Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. Um, so if you played Metal Gear Solid 3 and you played the Subsistence release, you'll know that they put it in a classic third-person style. But Metal Gear Solid 4 is a game where they actually decided to modernize it with modern third-person controller uh, controls. So you have a rectile that you can constantly aim with your right stick and you maneuver with the left, as opposed to Metal Gear Solid 3's kind of awkward but tactical stop-and-aim system. Um, sure. Not only that... Did you mean to say reticle? Yes, I don't know what reticle. word came out of you, but it, yeah, okay. <laughs> A reptile? Did I say a reptile? A reptile. Yeah. <laughs> a reptile. It's an erectile that comes out of you. I'm um, like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the camo <laughs> system has been improved, in my opinion, from Metal Gear Solid Three. This is a bit of a debate 
Um, but now it just automatically detects the best possible camo if you stay within a certain if you stay still for a certain amount of time in a in a place. Um, right. The, well, the in three it felt like you had to work a little bit to get that advantage. Yeah. Whereas in four, it's just like take a second and we'll give you the advantage. Yeah. Um, another change in Metal Gear Solid Four would be the vast amounts of weapons that you have to choose from, and the fact that you can yes. customize each weapon. So you can sell weapons while on the battlefield using in-game uh, cannon of Drebin can electronically get it or something like that. And his monkey. Yeah, so you can customize your weapons, and this is a, a very big positive in my opinion, and I loved this part of the game. I love any game that lets me, you know, pick out scopes and silencers and different grips and barrels for my gun. I would say that this game has a bit too many guns that just kind of do the exact same thing especially for a stealth action game where you like you're not really looking <laughs> the same be argued for all guns right right <laughs> yeah i guess but it's different for a stealth action game than something like warzone because in warzone sure. like fire rate and accuracy all these things matter whereas in Metal Gear solid 4 where you're trying to be stealthy the whole time you really only need to get off a single shot out of most guns so I think they would have benefited from cutting down like that arsenal by half and really focusing yeah. on adding in unique attachments or unique guns. I uh, definitely remember finding a sawed-off shotgun early in the game and using it for most of the game. Yeah, like you basically to just your, you to pick, counter you. Yeah. yeah, you pick out a few guns and you kind of just like suit them up, and then you're pretty much good to go for the rest of the game. Um, yeah. The boss fights are, in my opinion, a significant drop down from the previous games. There's no boss fight in this game besides Liquid Ocelot at the end that I deem memorable or fun in any way. They're all pretty yeah. basic, find the person and shoot them boss fights. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty weak. Uh, the European level where you have to go find Big Mama, it's a yeah. pure stealth section where you're following people using footsteps. Um I don't think it's particularly enjoyable. I think it's a bit too long. Um, yeah. You need some form of... <laughs> yeah, you need some form of action there to really break up the monotony of just fucking wandering around in this really quiet and dark area. It's a cool set piece, but yeah, it goes on a little too long, and it, and it would be cool when you, you, you have, like, young Snake, basically, right? That yeah. You maybe shoot up a parlor or something. Yeah, that was like Hideo being like, okay, 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 you guys played the first two chapters with the old Snake. Do you guys know about point. movies made before 1960? <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, I think what this game does right in regards to its fan service, because it does a lot, a lot wrong with fan service, like I said, the Metal Gear Solid 3 connection. Um, but the entire Shadow Moses segment, I think, is a fantastic way to use nostalgia. Uh, it had a storyline purpose, but it wasn't just doing the same thing. There was a thematic purpose to, to going yeah. back to Shadow Moses. It was showing. Let's be honest; it, it's also the fourth game in the series. So, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, it yeah, now's the ahead. time. Yeah. yeah. So, and I thought that section was beautiful. I love that they played the best is yet to come as you're first approaching it. The blizzard is going by super hard, so you can't see it at first, but as you start to come into it, you can see the view. All the little nods, like, this is good fan service. When you go into, like, the room and you see the damaged camera that you probably shot while playing Metal Gear Solid 1 for the first time. Uh, yeah. yeah, or going under the truck to find the pistol and stuff like that. That shit's really neat. And you fight a bunch of bowling balls with arms. Um, I was fine with that. I like the idea that Shadow Moses has... Uh, lost all humanity to it uh, because in Metal Gear Solid One, it's like it. Shadow Moses almost has like a personality of its own. Um, the different sections, all the people in there, it felt like a military base. This 
I think its presence in Metal Gear Solid 4 really fits the game and its themes, which is dying, aging, but it's full of machines and uh, and lifeless and all these things. So I really like the inclusion of the geckos. I, right. Whatever was there, whatever was human guards previously, is now these like fucking scary robots. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love like the fuck the the geckos that come up and like the <laughs> um, yeah. That that's a really unique set. Like I don't know. I don't know why. It's a cow. Yeah, I don't know why you decided to go with a cow for those, but it's pretty intimidating. It, it's otherworldly, yeah. It's like, why is this? Why did, was that the sound? And that's kind of like you're thinking about it, and therefore it's a success. Yeah, like, it's, it's right. yeah, it's kind of yeah. like going to Demon Souls and hearing the Storm King and all the manta rays with their things. It's really cool. Um, yeah, like if we're if we can just like encapsulate all our thoughts about Metal Gear Solid Four because we are running out of time, and I think we want to move sure. on to Metal Gear Solid Five. I, I do. Like yeah, like Metal Gear Solid Four to me is is like your least it was favorite. A huge, it's a massive spectacle. Uh, it was I remember having fun playing it. I have never gone back to play that game, and uh, I, I feel all of the cutscenes, all of the story, outstays its welcome here. I am just not interested in it, and it's good to hear that uh, for the most part, even huge fans of Metal Gear are like, yeah, it's a little long in the tooth. They dug into the they they tried to connect all the ends where a lot of fans were okay leaving it a bit ambiguous, yeah. leaving it up for debate. And Hirokojima's like, no, this is how it is. Uh, this is the reason for that. This is the reason for this. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, what what are your closing thoughts, Reed? Yeah, I I I have a lot. I have a lot of love for Metal Gear Solid Four. Like I said on a previous episode, um, I do enjoy fan service, good or bad. In a lot of cases, I love the over the top schlocky anime. Uh, explanations that this game loves more than any other Metal Gear Solid. Um, but I'm not so blind at the same time as to be like, no, like every inclusion here is good because there is a lot of things I would change. But I love the gameplay. I think it's fun. I love the cutscenes. I like really long cutscenes. Um, I wish the boss fights are better. I wish that they cut some of the story. Like you said, it does not need to be that long. Um, but overall, I don't hate it as much as the average person, but I think it was mostly an unnecessary experience for half of it. I think, I think half of this game is really good, really important things, and it does conclude the Solid Snake story in a very satisfying way for me personally. I love, I love the ending, for example. I love how Snake, after all the shit he's done, he still views him killing himself as a mission he must accomplish. It's his last punishment he must endure. It's a beautiful fucking cutscene. Um, so yeah, that's Metal Gear Solid 4, basically. It's it's a weird-ass fan service game where uh, you got some good and you got some bad. It's definitely the most gray out of all the Metal Gear Solids, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and it was the best-playing uh, Metal Gear Solid game until, of course, Metal Gear Solid V, which we will start talking about next week at Iceberg Podcast is us on Twitter. Lee at Iceberg. Dot com is our email address. Send us questions and topics if they're interesting. We might talk about them here on the show. Go back and listen to that Venom podcast. The compilation will be out uh, maybe in a couple weeks. We'll, we'll let it breathe. People can't take too much <laughs> Venom at once. It's dangerous. Uh, so for myself, Lee, and for Reed, thanks for signing up. We'll talk to you again next Thursday.